1: Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Pete Nigerian co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Tonight on Fast. It's an earnings palooza after the bell. We're all over the latest numbers from Peloton, Uber, Pinterest, and more. We'll bring you the latest from the calls and what you need to know about these trades. And speaking of earnings, Expedia shares surging after its report. We've got a first-on CNBC interview with CEO Peter Kern, what he sees for the travel industry, comeback, and the strength of the consumer. Plus, the CME Group scoring a billion-dollar investment from Google and inking a deal to move its trading systems to the cloud. CEO Terry Duffy will join us exclusively with the details. But well, we start off with an earnings alert on Peloton. Shares are plunging. 25% after the fitness platform reported its latest quarter. Christina Barsinevel got all the details. Christina. Yeah, Peloton
2: shares down 25%, and this after quarterly results just failed to impress across the board. Peloton posted a net loss of $1.25 a share on total revenue of $805.2 million, I should say, when the street was expecting $810. q one gross profit dropped 20% year over year. Although the company did manage to eke out some new connected fitness subscribers, which you're seeing on your Graph right now on your screen at almost two and a half uh, million. It's only partially offset the continued impact of tread product recalls. As people head back to work and the gym, the allure of the bikes might be wearing off. The company says that the bikes, which are $400 cheaper than they were just a few months ago, are appealing to younger and less affluent consumers, their fastest growing customer segment. In other words, they're sacrificing margins to increase market share. Quote, this informs our decision to prioritize accessibility in household acquisition over near term profitability. Much like last quarter, Peloton points out the environment is challenging with supply chain constraints, commodity cost pressures. That's why guidance came in light. The company expects sales of $4.4 billion to $4.8 billion for fiscal 2020. And when only three months ago, they were predicting revenue well over $5 billion. So I guess we can expect some convincing on the earnings conference call that has literally just begun right now.
1: Shares down 25%. What's up, Christina, thank you. Christina Parts Nebulous. Guy, is this fair? Down 25%. I mean, it makes sense to try and go for more customers by cutting prices. Or is this, uh, I mean, razors and razor blades, they've done this for a long time.
3: Yeah, actually, it should be worse. But before we get into it, I mean, how can we even start this show without doing the obvious? What is today? What's today's date, Melissa Lee? November 4th. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? It's Thursday. (laughs) Thursday. It's your birthday, anyway. and on behalf of the entire Fast Money team, happiest of birthdays. Anyway, look, you know it's interesting. Back in May, Pete was on the show that night, and we talked about Peloton, and they got whacked on the back of the treadmills. Dan was on that night as well, and we talked about all the volume the stock traded. It held 80 bucks. It looked like it was a good entry point. And it turned out to be correct, but you know, you go the second time down, it typically never holds. And here we are. That guide was awful in a word. And it should have been, the bells should have been going off for me a week or so ago when I was watching the Ranger game, and a Peloton ad came out, and they said Heather was slashing prices by about $400. So none of this is good. And there probably is further room on the downside. I'll say this. Typically, you trade 7 million shares a day. You're looking for a 70 million share day for capitulation. Maybe you get that tomorrow, but I don't think so.
1: What would you need to hear, Tim Seymour, on that conference call to think that maybe this big dip could be a buy?
4: Well, that they have more visibility, although you know granted that that's difficult in this environment for a number of macro reasons but but again, the connected fitness subs guidance down six percent. I need to understand a little bit more what's going on, and I understand that they're going uh, possibly for a, a slightly different demographic, but is that you know, are they playing defense or offense here? Um, the fact that, that I, I want to hear them explain more how they're recalibrating is the term. And I, I put quotes around that because um, that's what I heard. And I, that's, not the, that's not a term I hear in terms of recalibrating the fiscal outlook that I hear all the time on an earnings call. So yeah, I, I want to hear more about that. I mean, this is, this is a stock that uh, not terribly cheap even after this pullback. If you think about it you know, on an on a EV to sales basis, it's still probably four to five times um, and a company that I, I think we all know uh, where they sat a year ago in the sweet spot of, of uh, uh, where we were with COVID and, and stay at home. But that, that's not what's punishing this company right now, um, not the way it is now. Um, we knew that. We knew that the trends were going to, uh, the comps were tough. We knew where they are going to be. This is different than the street was expecting.
1: Less affluent, lower income customers. That's why they're slashing prices, Pete. Um, I, I think this could be the start of a new fast money game, offense or defense. Where, how are they approaching this? Where, yeah. where are they?
5: This is 100% this is defense, defense. No, and I was going to say that, Tim. I mean, this is, this is absolutely defense, and, and it's, it's incredible because this is a company that's absolutely struggling right now, right, Mel? I mean, when we look at what they gave us in terms of the guidance, that was terrible. When they looked at the full-year guidance, it's nearly a billion dollars light. So... I think that the fact that you know a lot of people didn't understand this company very well and we've all seen it in the past any of us who are over the age of 50 know when you see these kind of items eventually they become very expensive hangers that hold onto your clothes as you're trying to dry them. I mean, this is the real problem. These guys now had to cut it by $400. They still don't have the kind of sales that they were looking for. The subscription model is what they're aiming for, because that's where all the margin is. But if you're not selling bikes, you're losing on the subscription model as well. So I view this as something that was bound to happen. People like to be social. People want to go into the clubs. And when I look at some of these numbers, it's pretty extraordinary some of the slashing that they're doing. They are bleeding money. Last quarter, about $400 million. I didn't even see what the numbers were this quarter, but I can only imagine they're bleeding just as much this quarter as well.
1: They had some amazing stats before. I think it was around the time of the pandemic. It could be, you know, maybe a year ago or so. In terms of the number of workouts that each member did per week, or I forgot what the measurement was. It just showed basically a very highly engaged base. And I wonder how that is turning out now that there are more options, as Pete had mentioned, fitness clubs, for instance, going to the gym instead of staying in your house. Steve Grosso, what do you want to hear from this call?
6: Yeah, I, I don't think you could hear anything, quite frankly, that would make me think that they're coming from a position of strength. When you lower prices, like Pete said, that's a sign of weakness. When, to your point, less user engagement, total sign of weakness. The biggest sign that I see is that Planet Fitness was up 11% today. So, people that their their biggest competition is not just the Apple app or fitness apps or other fitness subscriptions, it's the real world opening up. So, if you're if you can get out there, it's a social event to go to a gym. No longer are they going to be able to charge what they can charge for a treadmill uh, for for a um, a treadmill or a bicycle. When you can join a gym for multiple years and still it be cheaper, this I think is is a shot across their bow, and I don't think that they are going to be able to recover from this, quite frankly. So I, I don't think I think this is the beginning of the end, and the end is coming for Peloton. It's going to be the very tough uh, hold for on, them to The beginning pivot off of, this. of the end. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I don't think they're they're going to be able to survive. I don't think they're going to be able to survive. They would have to pivot very strongly with some other product that engages usage the way this did during a pandemic. So unless they can do that, and I don't see them doing that effectively, I think that the writing is on the wall. The economy is opening up. Gyms are opening up. People want to be social again. They don't want to be stuck in a basement with clothes piled on a treadmill, as Pete said.
1: <laughs> we should note, uh, just out of fairness, a Peloton did report $962 million in cash and cash equivalents on hand at the end of the quarter. So they have some buffer here. Let's turn now to an earnings alert on Uber. Shares are lower after its report. The earnings call just getting underway. Deirdre Bosa joins us now with the very latest. Debo.
0: Melissa, still running through those introductory comments on the call after a literal fire alarm snap you, which was a weird way to start it. But I can tell you what investors would like to hear. They want to hear that Dara Shahi can pair back on driver incentives like Lyft suggested it would just a few days ago. So we are listening for that. Dara Shahi did just say, however, that they are reaching more of a supply demand imbalance, and that is helping to pair some of those initial losses. But they are still They were about a penny below that IPO price. Now they're just above it. But this continues the underperformance that we have seen from Uber on the back of these results. Adjusted EBITDA. This quarter was positive for the first time ever, but just barely at $8 million. Compare that to Lyft, which reported $67 million this past quarter, more than double from the quarter before. Now, the smaller ride sharing company seems to be benefiting from its focus on ride sharing. Uber's picture is certainly more complicated. Its global footprint has a more lumpy recovery food delivery business where it's competing with DoorDash. And of course, there's its many investments to that point. Uber's huge net loss in Q3 of $2.4 billion that can largely be attributed to its stake in Chinese ridesharing company Didi, where it took a more than $3 billion write down. Uh, the bright spot, however, was driver supply. As I mentioned, the company is saying that ride sharing drivers were up nearly 60 percent in the third quarter year over year. Like I also said, though, investors, they may want Dara to go a step further and say that driver incentives, which is costs, can be pared back going forward. So we will certainly be listening out for that and likely to field some analyst calls on that.
1: Yeah, and the stock, as you speak, D, is uh, surging. It's up 2.6% um, just in the, couple, the past couple of minutes. Deidre, keep us posted. Thank you. Don't miss the first on CNBC interview with Uber CEO Dara Khazar Shahi tomorrow, 7.45 a.m. Eastern Time on Squawk Box. Let's trade this one. Pete.
5: Yeah, when I'm looking at this, Mel, my biggest issues have been for the same same thing as it's been almost since day one. When are they going to finally start to make money? I'd like to see them start to make money at some point. This is a very mature company, and they just have stumbling block after stumbling block and excuse after excuse on why they aren't making money. So they continue to lose money. They're going to continue to have a cash burn. I think that's why the stock initially was down about 5%. Now it's up about 2%. But let's, let's be honest. This stock is virtually right where it was when it IPO'd for the most part. So... I, I don't know, Mel. I, just, I think there are other places I'd much rather be, and I'm waiting for the day when they actually do follow through and start to make money. And I know there's, there's a lot of issues, and they've got labor shortages and all those kinds of different excuses. But at some point in time, they've got to show us that they are ready to make money, and they haven't been able to do that just yet.
1: You know, Guy, Deatro was outlining how the two businesses, Lyft and Uber, are, are different, obviously, in terms of their size and scope at this point. And I'm wondering, at this phase of the economic recovery, which one would you rather be in right now?
3: So you're playing a Ooh. game of would you rather on your birthday. And I'll play it correctly just because <laughs> it's your birthday and it's Lyft. And it's been Lyft for a while. And you look at Uber's quarter, which we just discussed, but then you look at Lyft a couple days ago and say, wait a second, re- record revenue per active rider with the frequencies up. They actually are now profitable. And in terms of the chart, and we talked about this uh, earlier in the week, you got something to trade against in terms of that 45.5 low or so from May and that, again, recent low that we just saw. So absolutely, in my opinion, it would be lift in this game of Would You Rather.
1: Tim, I played this game of Would You Rather with you um, in the recent past, maybe just this past you week, have. in fact. And you went with, with uh, Uber. And I'm wondering how you feel about that right now, given what you've heard so far about the quarter.
4: Well, I'm going to play in this new disguise game of would you rather that guy figured you out on. I'm going to say again, it's Uber and and it's Uber because um, I, I everything that, that people don't like about this company or some of the things that have been professed tonight. But the comp, the complexity of the model that is, is what I love. I mean, I, I love the super app dynamic. I think Uber's going to be doing a lot more than just you know, moving people around. And I think, uh, you know transitory is a word. We talk all the time with the Fed. I mean, a lot of these headwinds are transitory. Okay. The the labor supply may cost more, uh, but it is coming back. And, And those are things that are very bullish. Um, I, I also think on a pairs trade, so, you know, this is probably something else we talked about in that would you rather of yesterday um, or yesteryear is that I, I actually think this pair trade is is long uber short lift um, for another 15, 20 percent just based upon where these things have traded relative to each other. I think you've had great opportunities uh, to put this trade on in each direction. But but again, I think the dynamics, you know, what, what I don't like here um, around the profitability is, first of all, adjusted EBITDA is adjusted EBITDA. It's not profitable. Um, and there's there's reasons why um, they can make claims and there are write downs and whatnot. But but remember, you know, a lot of different people report adjusted EBITDA. And that to me is not something I'm all that fired up about. I, I do think that this is a company that has a lot more operational leverage inside of it. And, and I think all of the things that are um, negative for Peloton are very positive for Uber uh, in terms of where the world is right now.
1: All right. Coming up, we've got more earnings coming your way. Shares of Pinterest and Square, both on the move after reporting. We'll bring you all the details next. Plus, CME Group is heading to the cloud. CEO Terry Duffy will join us in just a few to break down its billion dollar deal with Google. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back right after this.
7: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got another earnings alert on Pinterest. Shares are jumping after its report. Julia Borson has the latest read. Julia.
8: Well, Melissa, Pinterest bouncing off a 52-week low that had hit today before the market closed. Now it's up about 6% after hours on earnings and revenue that both beat expectations. The company's weak point, though, was its monthly active user numbers. Instead of gaining the $6 million that analysts expected, it actually lost 10 million monthly active users over the course of the quarter to end with $444 million. Now, the company did reassure that things are starting to turn around, saying that as of November 2nd, global monthly active users had gained $3 million from the end of the quarter, also saying the current expectation is that fourth quarter revenue will grow in the high teens percentage range year over year and that non-GAAP operating expenses will grow in the low teens quarter over quarter. Now, CEO Ben Silberman saying, quote, our key strategic priorities for 2021 remain anchored in content, pinner experience, advertiser success and shopping. We plan to continue investing in these this year. Now the company did say they intend to provide more detail in terms of their outlook on the earnings call that starts in about 45 minutes. We are also of course listening for any mention of their failed deal talks with PayPal or if they're exploring other deals or even ways to grow shopping on the platform that is of course something that PayPal would have enabled. Melissa.
1: Julia, thanks Julia Borston on Pinterest and the in the setup was spot on, of course, from Julia, and that is 52-week low heading into this release in today's session. So Grasso, um, what do you make of the stock here?
6: Yeah, so I think it had more to do with the 52-week low technical bounce. The market market uh, participants paid more attention to the revenues being up and, and average revenue per user being up. They should have paid more attention to monthly active users falling, even though there's a spin positive spin that the company can put on that, but I still wouldn't be a buyer of this. But you're going to have to give it a couple of days because it upset and took the street by surprise. So you could see a rally in this for a number of days before it starts to get back to that declining trend that we've seen.
1: All right. As the uh, sole member on the panel who actually has a Pinterest page, Guy, obviously that's you. Um, what did you make of this quarter? And should, should investors hold out hope that it's going to be a takeout target?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I think the monthly average average users is a bit of a distraction. I think it's easy to look at that, but I think you're taking the eye off the ball. I mean, earnings growth is there. I get the valuation is rich, but Dan Nathan says this all the time, and I happen to agree with him. I think Pinterest would be a great tuck-in play for somebody. You saw what happened on the back of the PayPal news, obviously, then subsequently sort of uh, some cold water thrown on it. But where there's smoke, there's fire. And if it's not PayPal, it's somebody else. So... I think Steve is right in that this stock could probably rally more than people think. It's at a series of lower highs and lower lows since that all-time high, I think, in May. But you get, you, know, you start getting north of 55 or so, which is not unreasonable given what we've seen. And maybe this stock can break out to the upside. Just curious before we move on to Square Guy, who? Talking for who? I mean, what would look good? Oh, Google, I think. I thought you were saying oh, okay. who has a Pinterest page. No, I think Google would be we pretty interesting. Look, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think Apple would be pretty interesting. I think there are a number of sites that could use Pinterest. Um, Walmart. Just in terms of what they can do with their Ooh. with their user. But Walmart, I think I heard somebody say. that They all make sense. Yes, um, I did. It's just a question of who's going to pull the trigger.
1: Yeah, that was um, Tim Seymour with the Walmart chime in. I like that. That's interesting. The, the guy Let's without move the move Pinterest
4: s- page. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Let's move on to Square. Shares of the digital payment stock down after its report. The earnings call is now underway. Kate Rooney has the very latest. Kate.
9: Hey, Melissa. Square dipping here. Shares dipping after a miss on revenue for the third quarter and a slowdown in gross profit from the prior quarter. Analysts were closely watching the cash app. That's been a big driver of growth for the payments company. Gross profit for the cash app fell from the previous quarter, coming in at $512 million. It did grow 33 percent year over year, but that was still only about a third of the growth rate it had seen in the prior quarter they didn't publish revenue per user or monthly active users this quarter either i did catch up with cfo amrita ahuja after the numbers crossed she pointed to some normalization of consumer spending power as those government stimulus checks ended that had been a big driver for the uh, cash app as well gross profit meanwhile in the seller business that picked up from the prior quarter and the segment saw roughly 48 percent growth year-over-year but still not growing as fast As the prior quarter, Ahuja also talked about a recovery in card present or that in-person spending volume as the U.S. economy continues to reopen and recover here. And finally, Melissa, Bitcoin. Bitcoin revenue was lower than expected, and it dropped from the prior quarter as some of the prices dropped for Bitcoin and less volatility did dampen some of that trading activity. Gross profit, though, was only about 2 percent of total Bitcoin revenue. Uh, Ahuja saying that as Bitcoin hit a new all-time high, that is actually recovering in October. She said that uh, Bitcoin volumes have picked up. I asked about new cryptocurrencies being added to the platform. That's a big debate around Robinhood and Coinbase. No plan, she says. For now, they are focused on Bitcoin. And so is Jack Dorsey. He kicked off the earnings call, as usual, mentioning Bitcoin. He says they'll publish a white paper later this month on the new Bitcoin business, which is still being called TBD. Back to you.
1: Clever. Uh, Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney. Um, Pete, your thoughts on Square?
5: You know, I'm looking at this as as a potential opportunity, Mel, and I think that Bitcoin is one of the pieces of the puzzle that makes me a little bit more bullish going into the future, not necessarily today or tomorrow, but going into the future and the idea of the wallet and everything else that they're talking about there. But I look at this as a possibility of, a, of, you know, it's already pulled back back substantially from the highs, and it continues this pullback. And when you look at the company itself, there are a lot of different growth areas. And the growth areas, some of these profit numbers, year over year, some of the percentage growth that we're seeing is absolutely extraordinary. But I know a lot of the time that we're looking at what were they supposed to get and the discipline of looking at that. But I'm just looking at year over year. I like some of those numbers, some of those profit numbers across the board. Those are very strong. So I'd actually be looking at Square right now, and Jack Dorsey has – the potential of maybe starting to buy and start to nibble as this stock if it continues to sell off into tomorrow more than 50 bucks off its high tim
4: yeah yeah but you know again this stock's had a big comeback i, I do think that some of the sexiness around its exposure to crypto jack dorsey will be on the leading edge i do think this is a driver um even though again if you they, they reported their their numbers and they said you know x x bitcoin you're still up 45 on on the revenue side the cash app is uh, that sticky all you know kind of all-purpose uh, place to draw in the the consumers, and I think they continue to do that. So the uh, stock's to me not cheap, and, and I, I do think it's it's a function of the market that we're in that this stock will continue to levitate higher. The minute we have a problem with higher multiple stocks, obviously this is a stock that's going to suffer. But uh, where we are going and the multiples and the strategic importance of fintech players and folks that are part of the digital economy, um, I think positions this company. Very much near the front of the line.
1: All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
5: CME Group is sending its trading systems to the cloud. The company teaming up with Google to move trading sky high. CEO Terry Duffy joins us with the details. Plus, we're chowing down on earnings from Shake Shack. Is this a trade you should be biting into? You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq Market Side in Times Square. We're back right after this.
9: Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click, click, click. click. Rider's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at Canva.com. Designed for work.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money, CME Group, moving its trading systems to the Google Cloud. Shares of the futures exchange hitting an all-time high on the news of this partnership. Google also making a $1 billion equity investment in the CME. Joining us in a CNBC exclusive, Terry Duffy, CME Group chairman and CEO and friend of Fast Money. Terry, it's always great to speak with you. Thanks.
10: Well, first of all, I, I want to make sure I wish you a very happy birthday. I would sing to you, but... My throat's a little sore after uh, talking with my board over the last several days about this deal.
1: Well, I appreciate the thoughts though, Terry, and I'll cash in the rain check for the singing <laughs> another birthday, that's for sure.
11: Well, um, so you when you, I you read, do that.
1: <laughs> when I read through all the things that this partnership brings to CME, I, I think of cost savings. What is the primary yeah. benefit in your view of this long-term partnership?
10: Well, I mean, cost savings is something you can easily point to, Melissa, because that's kind of a bright, shiny object. But really, it's the expansion and growth of the business. When you look at the way the world is going today, from my standpoint, you know, revenue streams come and they go. And every revenue stream is associated with technology. And when you have a new idea about an application or a a new procedure that you want to bring into your organization – You have to have the technology associated with it. Sometimes those technology inputs could take years to implement, and the revenue streams might be on a different place, and if you're second, you're last. So this is another way for us to capture revenues on a real-time basis, getting under the Google umbrella, which is so large and so vast putting CME's infrastructure in here and allowing us to grow our business exponentially. So I am really excited about the growth perspectives of this. Yes there are cost savings to CME, but the real story here is about the growth.
3: Terry, as you know I'm a big fan of Pink and one of her songs was Raise Your Glass and I'm raising it to you because since you took over (laughs) CME, I mean just look at what the stock has done in those six years, I think six or seven years, it's been pretty remarkable. But to the extent that you can share this, how does something like this, um, how does it take place? Do you reach out to them? They reach out to you? It's a fascinating deal that's unprecedented, I think, for exchanges.
10: Yeah, and and without getting into too much of the proprietary details, Guy, I I actually reached out to them. You know, during the pandemic, I was uh, sitting there thinking, what's the world going to look like in the next five years? Um, you know, you have a lot of opportunities to reflect once you know that your family is safe and protected. When we we're first going through the pandemic, reached out to a few participants and uh, had the, the pleasure of getting uh, very close to some of the folks at Google, giving them my thoughts about how we could transform the financial services industry with technology and how a strategic partner could uh, make this happen. Google understood that concept of a strategic partner. They, they understood that this was not just a cloud services agreement. This was a partnership. And they, had that, they shared my vision on that guy, and uh, so did my board, and so did their board. So that's really how it happened, and it's been about a year process in the making, and I am extremely excited to bring this uh, to my company, my shareholders, and most importantly, my clients.
4: Hey, Terry, it's Tim. Yes. Uh, congrats on the deal. So the billion dollar preferred investment that they're taking in CME Group. Can, can you talk about at least again, you know, that that commitment uh, that they're making to capital markets? This is their first real foray there. But again, what what the technology element of this could mean? When I when I saw that headline, it said essentially uh, transforming global derivatives markets via technology. And, and I as you said, this is a partnership. Um, is part of that investment in something of specifics you could talk about?
10: You know, not really. Uh, the, the, the billion dollar investment is really Google's commitment to a strategic partnership to show that this is not just a cloud services agreement. They share the vision. So they wanted to they needed skin in the game to, to have that vision. So the the money, you know, we'll, we'll use the money in certain different ways. But it wasn't about the dollars, you know, from CME Group. We're a, a double a plus rated company so it wasn't about getting capital we didn't need the capital it was about the investment and it was about an investment in the idea about how we could distribute these markets how we could potentially democratize trading of these markets going forward by eliminating the latency issues associated for every single individual about creating efficiencies for the 103 million open positions worth trillions of dollars of risk transfer for clients from everything from mortgages to corn to every other product that we have sitting on our clearinghouse today how do we make that business more cost-effective for those participants and then allow me to go ahead and run the business and not have to worry about so much about running the technology associated with it so i can bring in new ideas as i said earlier and not have to worry about, can my tech department deliver this or not? They've done an amazing job. Guy said it a moment ago, we've grown so much, it's hard to keep up with it. And when you grow like that, you just need to get under a bigger umbrella in technology, or these ideas will come and go, and they'll go to somebody else. Mm -hmm. We can't afford to let that happen. I won't let it happen. So I think that's a big part of it.
1: Uh, Terry, you mentioned um, latency issues and settlement, and I'm wondering if you see under this you know, partnership um, settlement go way down, maybe to immediate or T plus one. I mean, what what do we what are you foreseeing?
10: Well, we're 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 already yeah. Unless as you know, in our world, we're already real time settlement, so we, we don't have T one. You know, in the derivatives world, it's real time settlement. We're mark to market every single day, so we don't we don't have those issues. I think when you look at the the artificial intelligence and and the other uh, machine learning that Google has today. You know, with our infrastructure going into that and how we expand that into other businesses, that's really where the excitement comes from. Also on the cyber issues, Google cyber Security is something that is a superior cybersecurity offering. That's another benefit to myself and my clients here at CME Group. So there's, there's just so many benefits, but it really has nothing to do with settlements as far as uh, time of settlement because today we're already at real-time settlements. Right.
1: Terry, great to speak with you. Thanks, as always.
10: Thank you, Melissa. appreciate it. Thank you. Terry
1: Duffy of the CME. Um, The CME is the most valuable market uh, exchange in the world right now at $79 billion in market cap. Um, Steve Grasso, what do you think?
6: Yeah, the exchanges have have been doing well. CME has been doing well. Terry's been doing a great job, as Guy had said there. I was interested in in what he said as far as cybersecurity because there's risks, and I wonder if there's – more outsized risks. That's why financial services companies don't go to the cloud uh, and they, they haven't readily used this alternative. So I, I would have liked to have seen how he gets over that hump mentally and why he's so uh, secure about going with Google. I think he just did say that about their cybersecurity. I would say that if, uh, if this is going to be the trend for financial services going forward, then the financial services community could become a huge tailwind to AWS, which is Amazon, to Microsoft, and to Google, as Terry had mentioned. So this is another way to build out their cloud businesses if now all of a sudden all the financial community is going to go full in.
1: And they have been jockeying into the financial services industry. It's a little bit difficult to because of the regulatory landscape. But, Guy, I'm just wondering what you think of CME Group in, in general. In addition to partnerships like this, Terry, has been moving aggressively into new products like mini contracts to cater to retail investors and sort of the new, um, you know, the growth area here in terms of the, the new people in the markets.
3: Yeah, I said it at the start. I'll say it again. I mean, he's been ahead of the curve every step of the way since he took over, since he took over the, the helmet CME group. The stock proves it. I mean, if you don't believe me, just look at a chart of the stock when he took over and look at the growth they've seen. And I think it continues to grind higher. There have been fits and starts along the way. But this is a stock, in my opinion, will continue to go higher. You mentioned all-time high today. It did. It pulled back a little bit. But I think in a week from now, we'll talk about the same thing. By the way, quickly. The other name we talk about in the same space is the NASDAQ, which is remarkable. They reported earnings had a bit of a sell-off, right back to all-time highs again, justifiably so.
1: Coming up, the earnings keep rolling in. Shake Shack and Expedia on the move. After reporting, we are digging into the details next. And Expedia CEO Peter Kern is here to break down the company's quarter. That stock is surging at 12%. More on that in just a few. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money is back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on shares of Shake Shack, the stock popping higher after results. Let's get to Kate Rogers for the details. Kate.
12: Hey, Melissa, it was a mixed quarter for Shake Shack, reporting a smaller loss per share than expected, but a miss on revenue despite it being Shack's highest revenue quarter ever. Same Shack sales, also a miss, gaining 24.8 percent in this quarter. Digital continues to be important for the business, making up 42 percent of sales in Q3. And even as diners start to return to stores, the company says it's retained nearly 80 percent of digital sales in fiscal September. Now, in terms of market performance, the company says its urban location growth is being driven by New York, LA, Chicago, and Boston as people travel and return to office. Suburban shacks, though, were up 2% in the quarter. All of its regions outside of New York City surpassed 2019 same store levels in fiscal October, with overall same store sales down 1% and suburban shack sales up 7%. The company's CEO, Randy Grudy, said inflation in both commodity prices and labor are pressuring the company's margins and that this will likely persist for the foreseeable future. He also said beef prices, for example, were up high single digits from just the second quarter to the third quarter. The company also recently took three to three and a half percent in price. And also, he said he thinks that they have additional pricing power in the future. The company also giving weaker than expected Q4 revenue guidance due to those pricing pressures. The stock has been all over the place. But as you mentioned, it's higher now in the aftermarket. Back over to you.
1: So weaker guidance, but still a five percent. OK, Kate, thank you. Yeah. Kate Rogers. <laughs> um, Pina Jerry, what do you make of this?
5: I'm a little bit surprised to see where the stock is right now, Mel, just what you just were talking about here. You get that kind of guidance, normally you're going to see the stock go to the downside, and we're not seeing that. It actually is moving to the upside. I'm looking at up five and quarter percent right now, so a pretty substantial move to the upside. I am concerned about margins going forward. They obviously have the labor cost issue. That that's also something that's going to be something that's going to hang around for quite a while, I think. But they are doing a lot of things right. When you look at those revenue numbers, that's up 48 percent year over year. So that's a really impressive number, even if it disappointed in terms of what they were looking for. Still a record number. So I, I think that there's a lot of things that are going right for the company right now. But margins are going to be an issue for a while because there's a lot of those pressures that I don't see going away for quite a while.
1: Pressures which are theoretically transitory, but they say that they can continue to raise prices which probably won't be transitory. (laughs) So in the end, isn't that a win-win for them, Tim?
4: Well, if anyone can raise prices at Shake Shack, and again, think about the markets that they have. I mean, they're trying to get the suburban Shake Shacks going, but some of their urban centers are in very, very dense, populated, high-wallet areas, and they can pass that along. And the loyalty factor is so strong. A lot of the food costs A lot of the COVID headwinds, Uh, obviously, you know, very easy comps year over year. So not as impressed, even though these were record revenues, more impressed by uh, the continued growth and the ability to roll this out. I mean, this was a company that that really was extraordinary. But in five locations, Uh, Randy Garuti and his team, I I think, have put their heads down. It's a growth story. It's still a growth story. And I think you priced in a lot of bad news the stocks, uh, you know, two weeks of bouncing off of that, you know, down 40 percent from the highs that we set towards the beginning of the year. I think you stay in this name.
1: Real quick, Guy, McDonald's, new high today. McDonald's or Shake Shack?
4: Another would you rather.
3: Listen, you know I worked at the Shake Shack, and I was employee of the month, as I've mentioned, a number of times. But the answer is McDonald's for a myriad of reasons. You're right in that they'll raise their prices, and that won't be transitory. But you've got to sell a lot of hamburgers at those Shake Shacks. You need a lot of the reform brokers going in, buying a lot of stuff. And Pete huh. nailed it. 160 basis point miss on restaurant margins is no bueno.
1: <laughs> Poor Josh Brown, not no even bueno. here to defend himself. Coming up, Expedia CEO Peter Kern here to break down the company's quarter. You won't want to miss that first on CNBC interview. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Expedia jumping after its latest earnings report. The company posting a bean at the top and the bottom lines. Seema Modi's got the details. Seema.
13: Expedia turning a third quarter profit, Melissa, allowing shares to really spike here in extended trade up. Uh, over 11 percent, there were comments made by CEO Peter Kern, who will be joining us in any moment, uh, about the strength in its home rentals platform, Verbo, where half of customers are new customers, which suggests that its brand marketing, all the money it's been spending on brand marketing to uh, strengthen its the Verbo brand, is starting to pay off at a time where Airbnb hasn't had to spend as much. It's got that brand equity working for the company. But interestingly enough, both companies reporting earnings today. You're looking at Expedia higher by 11 percent. Airbnb, alternatively, in extended trade, basically trading flat. Uh, Other comments were were made around pricing. Home rentals are pricing higher at a premium than hotels. So the fact that Expedia is seeing demand in this space and even going into next summer, he said that bookings are up for home rentals next summer compared to the same time. Uh, last year, which suggests that demand there is looking good. Now, with international restrictions set to ease starting on Monday, November 8th, Melissa, where we're expecting to see, uh, you know, a a surge in international tourism. We'll be waiting for those concrete bookings numbers. But Curran did mention that that will play a role in bringing uh, demand back to cities, which of course really uh, depend on foreign travel. Shares now up nearly 12 percent here.
1: All right. Uh, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi, uh, we will try and get the Expedia CEO. We've had a problem with this shot, so we'll work on that. In the meantime, Steve Grasso, what do you think of this trade? I mean, things to be, seem to be pointing up in terms of uh, border openings, in terms of vaccinations, especially among, you know, the younger set children, which will enable families to travel.
6: Yeah, I can't think of anything negative uh, to say about Expedia right now. There are in the great spot because they have traditional vacations that are coming back and they also have those home rentals that they have an angle to, uh, to benefit from there as well. This is definitely a reopening trade. This has been uh, one of the names that people favor, investors favor in the space. Technically, just a few more uh, percentage points and we're at uh, recent highs in the name. So technically, technically it looks good. Fundamentally, it seems like it's performing. So I would still be a buyer of this one on momentum.
4: Tim? They blew away uh, net income, adjusted net, and, and the, the, the profitability trends here, I think, are extraordinary. Look, the, the margins of this company are extraordinary. Uh, the VRBO taking market share, I think, you know, in the space you know, from you know, Airbnb, other competitors, um, also very impressive. So uh, the, the tailwinds with reopening and where we are in international travel are exciting things. But I think it's a combination of the technology here and the margin profile of this business that is why, you know, this is a breakout, by the way, of a stock that had done almost nothing for a year.
1: You agree on that. Um, That's an interesting take. It's a breakout, Pete
5: yeah I would agree with that as a matter of fact when you when you look at all the different things that everybody 's talking about here we 're talking about pricing power we 're talking about a return for travel we 're talking about vaccinations that at, at even lower age levels that are going to open things up that much more. It gives a lot of those travel restrictions uh, you know are suddenly going to be going away, and I think that 's absolutely going to be. Huge for them. I think it's going to be huge for the entire industry, including airlines, quite frankly. But certainly this is going to be great, I think, for Expedia. It's also going to be great for Airbnb as well. So I think going forward, these are the names that it opens up for them as we start to open up more and more and more and get rid of some of these restrictions that we've had for such, what, about 18 months or so now?
1: Yeah, too long is the answer to that. Um, Seema mentioned yeah, Airbnb, yeah, yeah. which also reported uh, today after the Bell guy. What did you make of that quarter?
3: So here we go. It's a third would you rather. I mean, a quarter is fine, but what's a better company? <laughs> and in the, the short answer is Expedia. And, in, you know, the Tim and Pete's point just now, think about it. Their revenues were slightly better, but EPS was basically a double what the street was looking for and oh by the way it was higher than even the highest whisper number that i saw which makes this stock actually probably cheaper now after the move than it was prior to the move if that makes sense so you know expedia is the e in the hope trade and i think it takes out that recent all-time high of i think 185 or thereabouts
1: all right well we finally connected with the ceo of expedia let's get back to Seema modi who's uh, got him on the phone Seema.
13: Thanks, let's bring in Peter Curran, CEO of Expedia. Comments, Peter, that you just made on the earnings call about gaining market share within the home rental space with your platform, Verbo. I'm just wondering what would you credit uh, your success to? Is it just brand marketing or does it come down to the quality of hosts and homes as you try to better compete with Airbnb?
11: Uh, hi, Seema, thanks for having me. Uh, I think it comes down to everything. I, I think you know we have great supply, great hosts, great managers. Uh, The use case of having a whole home in a luxury, you know, in a a resort area or in a vacation area was very popular during COVID, has been popular throughout. And we've done a great job of making sure everybody knows about it and everybody knows what the great experience is like. And uh, as I mentioned on earnings, uh, more than half our customers this year are new customers to the platform. So we're seeing great response from the market and, uh, and people are having great experiences and we think that'll keep happening
13: with airbnb at 112 billion dollars in market cap you're at a quarter of that is that how you view the the opportunity how you want to grow verbo going forward
11: well we don't spend a lot of time worrying about what airbnb is worth i think we we worry about the business about taking care of customers and and building on what we have i think verbo is a great business it's not exactly the same as airbnb Uh, we focus on a, a slightly different kind of product we focus on whole home rather than some of the other areas they focus but you know we focus on the whole business which is we also offer great hotel rooms and great aeroplane rides and great activities and so um you know we are a more complete company we think we offer everything to everybody and that's why we're bringing our loyalty programs together that's why we're uh you know going to make it easier for customers to benefit from all the products we have and we think that's a really great proposition and i'd be happy when our value is the same as theirs
13: Okay, there you go. Uh, But the strength in vacation rentals, is that, Peter, raising some concerns about demand for hotels at a time where, let's face it, there is a labor shortage uh, that is currently taking place in the hospitality sector. So many hotel owners tell me they just don't have the staff uh, they need to to allow for 100% occupancy
11: yeah I think uh, first of all I, I think we have to commend our hotel partners, our air partners they are they are doing amazing work in a really difficult time uh, for labor and and with other issues health and other things so uh, I think they're up against a tough battle. but they have been able to open we have seen demand come back as I mentioned on the call. you know we're seeing city demand come back as we open up international travel, particularly Europe to the u s uh, and more U.S. to Europe and Singapore's opening, we will see more demand in big cities. Uh, and those are where hotels are a great solution and the preferred solution. So I think um, you're really seeing the mix effects of where people have been wanting to travel or able to travel. And when they can, they will travel to hotels. We've seen it time and time again. You cannot get a hotel room. In Hawaii this Christmas just like you can't get a verbo in Hawaii this Christmas so where there is demand there is plenty of demand to fill up hotels and to fill up you know vacation rentals
13: I guess you're sort of painting this picture that the appetite is really large for travel this holiday season uh, with your stock now up over 12 percent in extended trade Peter thanks for joining us Peter Curran thanks for having of
1: Expedia me. Mel Seema, thank you. And our thanks to the CEO, Peter Kerr. In meantime, we do want to check out shares of Merck hitting a new all-time high today after its COVID-19 antiviral pill gained approval in the United Kingdom. That news sparking a blizzard of activity in the options market. And one trader took advantage of today's move to collect some big profits. Mike Co has the action. Mike.
3: Yeah, so Merck, we saw nearly five times as many calls trading as puts on above average call volume. Not surprising given the big move that we've seen. The most active options were the December 90 calls. And a lot of those obviously were being bought. But we saw some taking advantage of the fact that the stock was higher and the options premiums also elevated. We saw an institutional seller of 3,000 of those 90 calls, probably against a long stock position. That will give them a standstill yield of about 3.8% between now and December expiration when they are going to expire. That would give them probably a 20% gain year to date if they've owned the shares since the beginning of the year
1: this on the same day, Guy, uh, that we saw, see Moderna cut its vaccine guidance for 2021 and after Pfizer raised its own vaccine guidance for the year.
3: Not coincidental. Obviously, Big Cap Pharma finally catching a bid. We're seeing it in Eli Lilly as well. You need Bristol-Myers to sort of get off the mat. And I think Pete would agree with me on this one. Amgen, for whatever reason, can't get out of its own way. But I think that stock is just too cheap at these levels.
1: All right. Uh, Mike Coe, thank you for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast. One last check on Peloton. Shares are down 28% in the after hours. After hour session lows here. The lowest levels here that we're seeing since July of 2020. It will be an interesting session tomorrow. Time for the Final Trade. Go around the horn. Tim Seymour, what do you say?
4: Yeah, I think this move in Shaq, breaking through above 80, gets out of the bottom of that range, that channel. But they have pricing power that McDonald's does not. Yes, I said that.
6: Steve (laughs) Grasso. Live Nation's doing better. Expedia's doing better. So clear, secure, ticker symbol Y-O-U will do better. Looking for uh, an increase of, let's say, 30% to just put a ballpark.
5: Pete. Well, Mel, as a Maximista, i got to give you TJX. I saw a lot of call buying in there today. I think it's going a lot higher. Guy.
3: Happy birthday, Mel. I'm going to have five McDonald's cheeseburgers in your honor. MCD, take that, Tim.
1: Make that McRibs. <laughs> Matt and with Jim Cramer starts right now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you